all stand together this morning as a community of faith here down in the cafe over in Stevens Point. It's the one thing we all do together is recite the Apostles' Creed. Let's just recite this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Today is our final series, uh, final uh, message on a series about the Apostles' Creed. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Last week we uh, left off where we talked about he rose again from the dead. We talked about the importance of that event uh, to us as people of Christian faith. The next phrase that we recite together is that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus walked with, talked with, ate with, appeared and disappeared in front of his disciples. We read the story often of, the, of, of that Easter morning where the women saw an angel and said, he's not here, and everybody heard from somebody else and heard from somebody else, you know. And, but it went much further than that. We're not talking a Bigfoot sighting here. We're talking about literally Jesus met with them, talked with them, interacted with them, ate with them. It was an amazing thing. There was no doubt in their minds. It wasn't that somebody said that somebody saw that maybe. I mean, they were there. They heard him. They talked with him. He appeared to all of them, even to uh, those who didn't believe. Um, how many of you have heard the, the phrase, the doubting Thomas? Let me show you where that comes from. This is in the Gospel of John, where in the 20th chapter, it says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, one of the 12 apostles, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, you know, the first time. So the other disciples told him, look, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. If I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it. He was the first doubting Thomas. Well, a week later, the Bible says his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, and remember, they were still kind of afraid because of, you know, they'd all been under a lot of pressure and they had crucified Jesus and they thought they were coming for them next and they were, you know, kind of all hiding away and they're in this place, the doors are all locked. And I love this. Even though the doors were all locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And said, peace be with you. (laughs) Which I think is hilarious. Because the last thing in the world I would feel is peace. If all of a sudden somebody showed up and went, hello, you know, how you doing? You know, it's like if, you know, you didn't see me and you're you're in the church all by yourself. And I sneak up behind you and go, peace be with you. (laughs) Ah! It's funny, you know, I, I get a kick out of how many times angels would appear to people in the Bible. And the first thing they would say is, don't be afraid. (laughs) It's easy for you to say. (laughs) 
I love the angels, you know, on, on, on the Christmas story where all of a sudden these shepherds, the shepherds are out in the middle of nowhere, nothing. They've never even seen a light bulb, all right? All of a sudden the sky lights up with all these angels singing Hosanna to God in the highest. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Man, I'd be looking at that going, ah! Anyway, he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him this. I love this phrase. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That would be us. Hallelujah. We are more blessed than even Thomas who saw him in the flesh. So anyway, he actually saw them, interacted with them. I mean, there was no doubt in these guys' mind. It was an established fact, and they went out and changed the world with this message. So he rose from the dead, and then it says that he ascended into heaven. And we read about it in in the book of Acts, in the very first chapter. After he said this, and I'll tell you in a minute what he said, but after he said what he said, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. And so here he is. All of a sudden, he just starts taking off. (laughs) <laughs> and, and goes off into the sky and I love this next thing it says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white obviously angels stood beside them and said uh, men of Galilee why are you standing here looking into the sky because we don't see people float up every day Again, angels, you know, I, I think they just can't relate to us. You know, they're seen supernatural and stuff and they're never fearful and they show up and we all freak out and say, what's the matter with you guys? Anyway, he says, the same Jesus who've been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Uh, so here Jesus, as, as, the, as the creed said, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, we see this where Stephen, who was the first martyr killed for his faith, um, Uh, we read about in Acts the 7th chapter Stephen is preaching the gospel to these people I mean he's on fire man he's lit up the Bible says they they looked at him and it was like he had the the face of an angel I mean he just glory of God just glowing on this guy and preaching and sharing and they hated it because they hated what he was saying and they couldn't stand this Christian message and it says here at verse 54 he says when they heard it these people they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him I hate this stuff. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and he sees a vision. He sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. (laughs) This next verse. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. And they rushed at him. The Bible says they took him and stoned him to death. Killed him. And here he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. The next phrase in the uh, Apostles' Creed says, The same Jesus who ascended up, as the angel said, will come back. It says here, it says, He will come again. Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. The second coming of Christ will be like the first coming of Christ. I mean, the, the, there were many prophecies about the Messiah coming the first time. A lot of people didn't believe it, but it didn't matter. And the Bible speaks of him coming again. A lot of people don't believe it. Does it matter? You know, there are some things that it matters if you believe it or not, or it won't happen for you. If you don't believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, you're lost in your sins. You'll never have forgiveness of sins. 
If you are trying to trust God and praying for a miracle in your life, answer to prayer, you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, it ain't going to happen. But then there's stuff that doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. And Jesus coming back again is going to happen whether you believe it or not. Whether anybody believes it or not, it's just going to happen. But he's coming back and the Bible speaks of judgment. And the Apostles' Creed says he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. Now there's two specific judgments that we read of in the Bible. The first one is what we call the judgment of the wicked. These are people who don't want anything to do with God, never believed in God, refused Jesus Christ. I mean all this stuff, living in sin and all the horrible things that they do. We talked about it last week when we talked about people who die not saved, basically go to a place called Hades. But it's really not the hell that we're going to be in, that people will, hold on, I'm not going to be in, <laughs> or none of you, but that, that they'll be in for eternity, okay? This is kind of like a holding cell. So these people, they're waiting, uh, uh, you know, because they, they don't know God. But anyway, they're all going to come up uh, on judgment day, and everybody's going to be judged that did not know Christ. And we read about in Revelation, the end of the Bible, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The, judge, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, remember what we were talking about last week, gives up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the hell for eternity of which we speak. The lake of fire is called is the second death. The first death is physical death. The second death is eternal death and suffering. If anyone's name, and here's the real kicker. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So first of all, the book's going to be open and it's going to show them everything they ever did. Everything they said, whatever they done, good or bad. But the real kicker is then he's going to open up the book of life. And if your name is not written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. The Bible says that when we come to faith in Christ, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, he writes your name in the book of life. You want to be in that book. You don't want your name not in the book. That would be very bad for you. All right? But that's the eternal judgment for the wicked. But then there's a second judgment the Bible speaks of that will also be conducted. And this will be judgment of believers. These are people who have come to faith in Christ and are serving God and, and following after him. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a different judgment. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to basically be judged on what we did as believers. Okay. And then how what we do in this life will very much impact our reality in eternity. That's why, and a lot of people don't get this, but that's why Jesus said over and over and over again, don't live for now. Don't consume everything now. Don't make everything about your life and your family now. Lay up treasures in heaven. Give to others. Do nice things. Build up treasures in heaven. That's going to affect your eternity. Your eternity. Our life is but a just whisper. Man, it's going to be like nothing. And it's foolish to spend all of your energy and time on this and ignore this. Now it's not going to be a situation of whether or not you're saved or not. All of these people at this judgment will get into heaven. But the Bible says some as though by the skin of their teeth. 
Now, I got to tell you, if it's a choice between going to the lake of fire or to heaven by the skin of your teeth, I'd take skin of the teeth any day of the week. No question about that one. But still, why just squeak in? Man, let's do something significant for eternity now. You actually affect eternity now by what you do. We read about it in Corinthians. Uh, the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, For we must all, talking about believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's different than the great, great white throne judgment where people are going to be sent into hell. This is for believers. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done. Everybody say done. Done. It's the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You will not be judged for what you thought, felt, or intended. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I wanted to do nice things, and I really cared about that, and I really felt about this issue, and I really liked this guy. You know, doesn't mean anything. Your intentions mean little to Jack Squat. What we're all going to give an answer for someday is what we did. What are you doing? That's the question as believers. That's the thing we need to challenge each other all the time as part of the church of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of believers. Challenge each other. What are you doing? What are we doing with our lives? Don't waste your life. Invest in eternity. All right? Well, then the next phrase in the Apostles' Creed says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's just that one phrase. And quite frankly, in the Apostles' Creed, I don't think enough attention is given to the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, which came hundreds of years later, much more improved version, uh, and I hope to read that to you when we get to the end here, is uh, you'll see they talk a lot more about it and the significance of the Holy Spirit. But just because it's a passing phrase in the Apostles' Creed, make no mistake, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and it's a big deal. To this church, it's a big deal. We believe in the empowering and the anointing and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I told you I was going to read to you what Jesus said just before he, he went up into heaven. And I'll read it to you now. This is what he says. He tells his disciples, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be a witness for me all over the place, he says. You will receive power, I'm telling you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives if you're going to truly soar victoriously as a Christian. Now, there's been a lot of theology over the last two, three hundred years that's really gone out of its way to explain away the Holy Spirit because a lot of it's been in response to extreme things, you know, even over the last hundred years and Pentecostalism and charismaticism and whatever, a lot of just really wackadoodle stuff that have been said and taught and done and I could give you stories you would not believe over the next hour and a half, I don't have time, someday I'll do it because it's really hilarious but uh, just, just goofball wacky stuff and I think people because they've seen goofball wacky stuff in that world, they have, have changed their theology to, to so get away from that and they basically taught look if you believe in Jesus you get the Holy Spirit it's all in one and package kind of thing because they don't want to think about this separate experience because of some of the uh, uh, excesses that have been done but the reality is that is not the way it's taught in the Bible in the book of Acts and we just did a Bible study on the book of Acts on our Wednesday night Bible studies by the way you really want to learn the Bible you should come out on Wednesday nights because we teach really 
verse by verse. We really walk through it and, and really teach the Bible on, on Wednesday nights. And I encourage you to do it. We really have a lot of fun with it, quite frankly. But uh, one of the things that we just studied in the book of Acts, there were three questions they would ask the New Testament church. Three questions they would pose to people. Number one, have you believed in Jesus? Number two, have you been baptized? Number three, have you received the Holy Spirit? Three distinct experiences. This idea of lumping them, some of them together, trying to get around some theological problem uh, might get you around whatever problem you think you have in your head, but it's not biblical. There is a separate experience. Have you had someone lay their hands on you? A pastor, an elder, somebody full of the Holy Spirit, lay their hands on you and pray for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have not, you need to do this. It makes a huge difference. It's powerful. I'm telling you, it was a dramatic change in my life. Being a Christian without that experience and being a Christian with, with the experience. It is huge. It really is. And I encourage people uh, to uh, learn more about it. Now, uh, at this campus here, where Pastor Lathan's going to be doing a, a class on the Holy Spirit. We've got to get you guys in point doing the same thing. So we're going to be working on that. But where uh, he's going to be teaching about what that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and explain about all the different gifts of the Spirit. They're wonderful supernatural things, man, that you need in your life. We need as a church. I don't want to just be Christianity that just we just go in our own strength trying to be Christians. I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. I don't want to try to be a Christian. Man, I want to soar under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. And you get that with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's, it's like, you know, you know, I fly airplanes, uh, most of you know that, and we, we have a small Piper six-passenger airplane that we fly around uh, the country uh, doing our marriage seminars and stuff like that. I fly what's called a Piper Meridian. There's another Piper, same size, same everything, called a Piper Malibu. Now, they look exactly the same, except one has a little longer nose than the other one, but they both have props on the front, they both have the exact same wings, the exact same body, the exact same interior, the exact same uh, instrumentation, I'm telling you, they are virtually exactly the same, they fly the same, they take off at the same speed, they land at the same speed, but the difference between a Malibu And a meridian that I fly is quite significant. You see, a Malibu has a regular combustion engine in it. You know, six cylinders going, turn on the prop. Okay. Mine has a jet engine in the front, hence the longer nose. Now, it also spins the prop on the front. But the bottom line is I go a lot higher and a lot faster than the poor slobs in the Malibus. Now, it's kind of rainy and cloudy here in Wisconsin. It's been like that for the last day or two. And I say, man, it's kind of cruddy out there and it's all drizzly. It's kind of icky. But really, it's really not because a few thousand feet up there is pretty nice. Because on the way in yesterday, it was glorious at 28,000 feet. Beautiful. Cruising in. I looked down. We could see all the clouds down there. And on the radar, we could see all the weather. Everybody's getting beat up on. And, uh, but where we're at, we're cruising, man. We're at 28,000 feet going 300 miles an hour. Just zooming because of this jet engine on the front of our airplane. And now I know what it's like to fly the other airplanes. And I thought about those poor souls as I was flying up high. Because in those airplanes, you can't go nearly as high. And these are the guys who get stuck in the rain, stuck in the weather, stuck in the middle of the clouds. I know it. I've spent hundreds of hours, hundreds of probably 
probably about 1,200 hours flying in those smaller planes, you know, where you can't quite get up high enough. And when it's raining and stuff, you just fly blind as a bat in there and you're getting bounced around and the rain's falling on you and you can't get quite as fast, you know. You can still fly, but it's not as cool as how I can fly now. The difference is, it's a bigger engine. We go higher, we go faster, we fly over the poor slobs in the rain. All right? Now, it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. You can still fly. You still experience Christianity. You can still experience God in your life. You can still experience the Bible. But a lot of you are just going to get stuck in the rain, get your brains beat out. Now, if you like that, knock yourselves out. I don't care. But man, how many want to fly above all the junk in your life? Man, I want to experience the best that God has for me. You need the experience of the Holy Spirit. And you need to be prayed to experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Again, get involved in these classes. And, and we need to get this as well teaching in, uh, uh, at point. But any of you guys can go to Pastor... Uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Ray. <laughs> Really love you, Ray. Uh, Pastor Ray over there and talking about any of these issues and some of the elders and stuff. But we need to emphasize this more in our church. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our church. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, or the next thing he says, we believe in the Holy Christian Church. Now, originally, uh, first, second Christian Christianity, where this whole thing comes from, they said the Holy Catholic Church. Because the word Catholic means universal. It was a phrase of saying, we just believe in God's church everywhere. The church of Jesus. This is the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, hundreds of years later, it began to morph into uh, the Roman Catholic church. Uh, and, and then from there, there was the Lutherans and everybody else and all this denominationalism. And, and, and people have been trying for years, trying to control segments of Christianity through denominationalism. But that's not what we're talking about. And that's why we changed the word from Holy Catholic Church, because we don't want to be confused with the Roman Catholic Church. We just say Holy Christian Church. We believe in the Church of Jesus Christ. We believe in the institution of the church. We don't believe we're the only Christians, by the way. Okay? There's, we believe there's Christians in every church. People who believe and experience God we may not all think the same we may not all agree on everything but we're still believers in Jesus Christ we believe in the universal church we also believe in in the ministries in the church of uh, apostles prophets pastors evangelists teachers we believe in baptism ordinations marriages laying on of hands we believe in church discipline all these things that we believe as the institution of the church that Jesus set up to help carry the word of God the gospel into the world Um, Now, our particular church, we are not a denominational church. We're a non-denominational church. We're not part of one structure somewhere trying to get everybody all thinking the same. Uh, It doesn't really make us better or worse than anybody else. It's just different. We choose not to be part of a system like that. But uh, um, again, we are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ all over the world. Okay? Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then the next phrase... The fellowship of believers. Originally, it was the phrase communion of saints. What does communion of saints mean? It means fellowship of believers. Communion means fellowship. Saints in the Bible and in the early testament churches was a term used for people who believed in Jesus. Everybody was a saint. 
from a biblical sense, we're all saints. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that, you know, some denominational things kicked in and they tried to come up with a special category of certain types of people. We'll call them saints. And then everybody got a whole different skew. All of it, extra biblical. They just came up with it. It's not in the Bible anywhere. We reject that idea. All believers are saints. So rather than even deal with the terms, we just change it to what it literally means in English, which means the fellowship of believers. And we're pretty big on the fellowship of believers. We believe in the power and strength that comes from people interacting with people. That's why we have these life groups and stuff that we want you all to sign up for and be a part of uh, and, and, and connect with other people of faith. It's hard for someone to pray for you and encourage you in your faith and help you with struggles in your life if they don't even know your name. That's why you've got to connect with these people so they can get a chance to learn who you are and become, get some of these friendships. Christianity was never intended to be a solo deal. Never. In any way, shape, or form. God never intended. If you're really struggling as a Christian, kind of in and out, and usually you can find the ones who are really struggling a lot because when you ask them, do you have any other Christian friends? And usually they'll say, not really. Well, there's a connection there. There's a cause and effect. Christianity was never designed to be a solo deal. Okay? It's always been intended to be a team effort. Nobody ever expected anybody in the Christian faith to just do it all on their own. That's why we have the church. That's why we have the fellowship of believers. And there's many parts to the body, is what uh, the Apostle Paul taught. We're not all the same, but we make up the one body, the fellowship of, of believers. We don't. The fingers don't do the same thing the toes do. The eyes don't do the same thing as the kneecaps do. I mean, we don't all look the same. We don't have to think the same, but we are one body. And it's something that you've always heard me stress very much here at Celebration Church. This is a big deal for us because most churches, particularly denominational type churches, try to get a group of people together and make them all think and act the same. Make everybody believe the same thing about everything. Usually, they'll wind up all looking the same. And they're all dressing the same. And they all go to the same restaurants. And there's, you know, this just monolithic thing, which is typically a failure and a disaster. And I don't think it brings God much glory. And it's one of the reasons why there's 400,000 churches in America. 80% of them only have 100 people in them. That's about as many people as you can get thinking the same before they all start killing each other. It doesn't work. And it's ludicrous. And while we allow for lots of different viewpoints and stuff, there are some things that are non-negotiable. Like, that's why we're doing this Apostles' Creed. These are the fundamental tenets of Christianity. We all believe this. It's really not up for debate. You don't really believe this stuff, you probably won't feel very comfortable here. But now, what you think about other things, how you should hold the communion wafer, whether or not you should do this or that, you know, there's all kinds of space for that. And we don't all have to think the same. We don't even try to make you think the same. We'll tell you what we think about a lot of these issues. I'll tell you what I think about all these issues. And show you from the Bible why I think we approach things the way that we do. But there's no pressure or force in trying to get everybody to think exactly the same. And I try to use the phrase think about it instead of what do I believe about it. Because what I believe is non-negotiable. What I think is what I think and I could be wrong or right. And obviously I think I'm right or I wouldn't think it. But we don't all have to be the same. We don't have to look the same. We don't all have to act the same. And, you know, some of you, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I love this church. You know, there's a mixture of people, you know. So you, 
we even tolerate Puerto Ricans in this church? And we've got, yeah, bring it on. And we got blacks and we got Mexicans and we got stuff. I don't even know what you are. And it's just all over the place. And it's great. And it's wonderful. And I think that's what gives glory to God. When you get people who are so different joining together and being one. Some of you got tattoos. Some of you don't have tattoos. I was thinking about getting a tattoo actually. Putting it on my lower back. It's going to say, if you can read this, you're too close. Back away, man. Back away. <laughs> I would, but I'm a wuss and it hurt too much. Ow, 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 ow. I don't know how you guys do that stuff. Oh, it's also somebody sticking needles in me. <laughs> what am I talking about? Uh, <laughs> the next one, forgiveness of sins. We believe in forgiveness of sins. Quite frankly, we think it's the only way you can deal with sin is to be forgiven. You can't pray it off. You can't earn it off. You can't give enough money to get rid of it. There's nothing. Well, I'm not such a bad guy. It doesn't matter. You are doomed in your sins, but for one way, and that is forgiveness. That is why Jesus Christ died on the cross, so we could experience forgiveness of sins. And if there is one thing that should mark people of Christian faith, is that we walk in forgiveness. And forgiveness towards each other. That means you've got to cut people slack, even people in your life. We just pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every Sunday. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against others. I tell you, some of you ought not to be praying that prayer. Because God's going to hold you to it. I believe there's going to be a whole lot of people on Judgment Day they are going to find up there on the first judgment instead of the second one. And they say, what am I doing here? I should have my name written in the book of life. I should have forgiveness. And they'll say, no, 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 no. You wouldn't forgive that guy. You wouldn't forgive that person. You wouldn't forgive your ex-husband. You wouldn't forgive your ex-wife. You wouldn't forgive, forgive it enough. Remember, you're the one who said, forgive me as I forgive others. Well, you didn't forgive them, so I'm not forgiving you. Don't fool yourself. Because as soon as the Lord taught us the Lord's Prayer, he went on to say, for if you do not forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. You are delusional. If you think you can walk in faith and you're going to make it into eternity with Christ, and you won't forgive people. I'll never forgive you. I just, I'll write down what you did to me and I'll rehearse it and I'll show it to your face every time you know. We don't do that. We let it go. Why? Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not the rehearsal of sins. Not the reminder of sins. Not the pointing out of the sins that you sin against me, you big fat stinking jerk. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Next phrase. We also believe in the resurrection of the body. Someday we shall all be raised. Death, by the way, is a temporary state for everybody. Wicked or saint, doesn't matter. It's just a temporary state. The Bible says on that last day, everyone will be raised from the dead. Wicked, righteous, all the same. This thing of your body being dead and you're just having your spirit for a while, it's just a temporary thing. We're all going to be joined back together. You will be physically raised again in a glorified body that will live for eternity. The real question is, are you going to live in eternity with Christ? 
or you're going to live for eternity in hell. The fire doesn't get you, but you feel the pain of it. We shall all be raised. Let us be raised to righteousness. And then finally, the last phrase, and we believe in the life everlasting. Hallelujah. Eternal life through Christ. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death. The wages, that's what you earn. How many of you know you got wages? You get your paycheck based on what you do. You get your wages. What our wages of sin is, what we deserve from sin is hell. But the gift of God, thankfully, something you cannot earn, is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and uh, musicians get ready to serve communion. And of course, the last phrase in the Apostles' Creed is simply the word amen, which means so be it. These are the fundamental truths. Now, let me read to you as we're get, they're getting ready to serve communion all over the place here. Let me read to you the Nicene Creed and listen to how much more detailed it is. It says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, and who has spoken through the prophets. You hear the detail? It's much more detail. And it goes on and finishes out there. The reason, though, that we use the Apostles' Creed instead of this, two reasons. First of all, the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed, the oldest tradition in Christianity. So we choose to use that one. And the other reason is because the Apostles' Creed is 113 words. This other one is 226. It's twice as long. And uh, it's quite a lot to get in. But uh, that's kind of the difference between the two. Anyway, when people ask us, what is it you guys believe? This is what we believe. Now, we have other opinions and stuff about other issues that the Bible's not really clear on. We'll be happy to talk through any of those with you. But those we leave space for. If, if I say, this is what I think about this, and you say, well, I, don't th- I think the Bible says this, that's cool with us. That's okay with us. We don't all have to think the same about everything. But when it comes to what we believe, we believe these fundamental truths of Christianity. This is what it's all about. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe these things? Have you truly put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Have you experienced this wonderful grace that we're talking about? It is a life-changing thing. This is why Jesus came to the earth. This is why he died on the cross. That's what we're celebrating now. His body broken so we could be whole. His blood shed so he could wash away our sins. All of that we reflect on right now. Because this is what gives us eternal life. Knowing this incredible sacrifice that he did for us. By faith in his name. If you're here this morning whether in this building, over in Point, down in the cafe, wherever you're at, maybe you're watching via the internet or on television. But if you've never truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads with us as we pray this prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to repeat this. But if you are willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Jesus this morning, you can begin your life of faith today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.